0: to Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. I'm Chris Kreitcho.
1: And I'm Stephen Carradini. And today we're going to talk about music, particularly how people get their music. So before Napster in 1999, people got their music by vinyl, cassette, or CD. And that was it. That was how you got music if you wanted to own it. Now, in the post-Napster era, owning is not even a concept that is fully solid anymore, and there's a variety of ways that you can get your music. You can stream it, you can watch it, you can download it, you can buy it, you can pay what you want, you can rent it, essentially. There's a lot of different ways that you can get your music. And so we're going to talk about how that relates to people who listen to music and companies that invent platforms and delivery mechanisms for music and this has to do somewhat with Tidal coming online which is a a new streaming service uh, spearheaded by Jay-Z as well as our ongoing interest in YouTube and how it changes the way that music is consumed.
0: One of the interesting things about this is unlike many of our episodes which take a fairly millennial focus and a fairly american-centric focus we're going to have a bit more discussion of international behaviors and of Mm -hmm. those kids these days, meaning people who are (laughs) younger than us and some who are older than us, and just look at some of the ways those things differ. Now, granted, we're going to be speaking mostly either anecdotally or from studies we've read because neither of us have lived for extended periods of time in other countries, and also neither of us have been other ages than our own because we're not time travelers, unfortunately.
1: Right. I mean, we have been other ages than the ones we are right now, but— but at we that haven't... point, we
0: were still with the same generation of people. We haven't right. been other ages right. now, which is—
1: Right. I have not been 13 and 27 at the same time. True story.
0: That would be weird. Be, weird.
1: be weird. But that's an interesting thing because 13 to 24-year-olds in a recent study that I'll link watch YouTube more than television, which seems like a no-brainer, but it's something that's important. YouTube is replacing television for— a large section of the upcoming generation. And I do mean replacing. Yep. In in some cases, it's augmenting. That's certain. But in large situations, in many situations, it's just replacing TV. And people are watching clips
0: on their computer from Netflix and from YouTube. And as part of that, you have both the illegal uploading of things to YouTube by people, but also the fact that YouTube and to some extent other services, but mostly YouTube, have a lot of legitimate uploads as people who are ahead of the curve, so to speak, recognize that it's going to get up there one way or another, and the two approaches are try to fight the people who put it up or be the people who put it up and make some money off of ads or subscriptions or however you want to monetize it. Right. And, of course, if that's true for TV, one might ask, What else is it true for? And as we alluded to in our episode about Zoe Keating's kerfuffles with YouTube, it's also enormously true of music. And both anecdotally, listening to other folks' podcasts and then talking to acquaintances and so on, as well as data that's out there, it's also the case that a lot of young adults listening is done via YouTube. Now, the streaming services are popular, whether that's RDO or especially Spotify title is new iTunes and Apple are allegedly working on a streaming service associated with their acquisition of beats etc there's already iTunes radio there's Pandora right but at the end of the day YouTube is kind of winning which is well it's kind of weird to me because while I occasionally go listening for music on YouTube mostly I use other services and or I buy my music But I'm an outlier.
1: Yeah. And part of the reason that Chris and I both buy music as well as use services like Spotify once we've bought the music. Chris and I have talked before about how we use Spotify and we largely use it as a convenience after we've purchased the music Mm -hmm. um, or as a way to find music that we then purchase. Right. As, As we do that, one of the benefits is that the sound quality is good. Famously, Spotify had to have a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of time from click to play. And that was like their killer app, their killer invention that made them possible. When you click the button, music plays. It's like you're not even connected to the internet, which is a really interesting and kind of amazing technical feat. But the sound quality is also really good, which is another technical feat with getting that much information through the internet to the player as quickly as it does. So that's a benefit to Chris and I. We like that. There are a lot of people in the world that don't care about sound quality whatsoever. And I do mean whatsoever <laughs> because there are some songs on YouTube that have, like, you know, there's 192 kbps and 320 kbps. These are qualities that you can get of sound. The, the number that YouTube is associated with is basically
0: potato. <laughs> 64, 18, 64. One and a half. And Okay, so it's not really that bad, but I mean, the audio quality on these rips is just dreadful.
1: Yeah, and what's interesting is that title has come along and said, all right, well, we're going to give you high-quality audio. Same thing with Neil Young's Pono music player. We're going to give you high-quality audio. And to some extent, this is a cool idea. On another hand, there are very small... Percentage of the population who really know what they're listening to with extremely high quality audio. Chris and I might be among them, but I haven't really investigated whether or not that's true uh, because I just haven't been interested enough to try to get high quality audio. And so there are upsides that are potentially maybe not so up. And the downsides of Tidal, the fact that there are exclusives and the fact that you have to pay... $20 $20 a month or whatever the price settles at, because I don't know if it'll stay at $20 a month or wherever it is now. That's a significant downside, particularly if those are exclusives. Uh, Lily Allen, who's an artist, just suggested via Twitter that this is going to push people back to piracy because they don't want to pay 20 bucks a month to have to get the music that they already would have gotten via streaming services like Spotify, which I think is totally... I think it's totally legit. I think it's a good argument that if you make something behind a paywall that people have to keep buying, quote unquote, buying to get the same thing, you know, that starts to sound like a newspaper and you know what happened to newspapers. So
0: <laughs> right, and people's response is I want this on demand rather than I'll go spend the dollar 29 to buy the tune from iTunes or Amazon or wherever else. And whether we like that or not, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, it's a thing. You have to deal with it. And certainly we see the appeal to artists of something like Tidal, which promises them probably higher revenues than, say, Spotify with its famously low revenues because they're charging higher prices. But, of course, you have to couple that with the fact that unless Tidal gets really, really popular – which is unlikely given that its value proposition is basically Spotify, but with better audio quality. And as we've already established, most people just don't care
1: unless you... Yeah, or or can't perceive it. Like, that's literally a problem.
0: Right. And so, yeah, sure, maybe there's a higher per play value on Tidal than on Spotify, but if there are a lot fewer people playing, that still doesn't necessarily come out to a win. Right. What it does do probably is make it look, at least from the studios and artists' point of view, like maybe people will actually be incentivized to buy this, if nothing else, if the only places to get it are buying it or getting it via higher price streaming. But as Stephen just said, there is a third option, which nobody likes, and by nobody I mean none of the producer side likes, and rightly so, and that's piracy, and people we know— and And YouTube. Right, and YouTube though of course which is sort of piracy yeah (laughs) uploaded youtube says this is copyrighted material and takes it down
1: yeah youtube yar sort of (laughs) yar yar tube half yar (laughs) half yar tube half yar tube there we go (laughs) yar tube (laughs) okay too much fun too
0: much fun There's a there's an interesting consideration for the consumer there, though, which is, okay, I, I want this streaming because I like the convenience of it. At the same time, if I can't get it streaming, maybe I buy it via iTunes or Amazon or some other market. And honestly, those are the two major markets at this point. It's hard even for me to think of another one. There are others, Bandcamp, Beatport, you know, there are others. They certainly exist, but they're much, much smaller, and they also tend to target niches rather than being. The main place to buy, you know, Beyonce. That's true. You don't think about buying Beyonce from Bandcamp.
1: That's very true. Yeah. And that brings up an interesting point of access. So there are funneled gates of access for particular types of audio. More so now that Tidal has said you can't get X, Y, and Z without be going through Tidal. Well, in the rest of the world, they've had these issues for a long time in that there are. I mean, famously, Netflix is not available in many countries, and so people illegally sign up via VPN and give <laughs> and give Netflix money illegally, which I think is awesome.
0: I'm going to set up a fake connection that puts me inside the United States as far as Netflix's servers can tell and use credit cards such that I can actually pay you to get this service even though it's actually illegal for me to do so because I actually want to pay you for this service. Right. Also known as the uh, shut up and take my money approach. (laughs) That's right. And this only comes into being because of regional restrictions that the networks and producers have set up. And this applies to DVD distribution and now Blu-ray distribution and... Video game distribution. and, And now also music distribution. And I've spoken with people outside the U.S. who are just inordinately frustrated with the fact that they can't buy an album... Or they can't download an app, or they can't buy a game, or they can't get a video, etc., legally. And we saw with HBO over the last few years that because of weird licensing things, people were pirating Game of Thrones like crazy because they couldn't legally get it outside of the U.S. And HBO, yeah. sort of to its credit, basically said, well, I mean, better that they're watching it than not. Which, to me, says, why don't you just license the thing? <laughs> That's or... right. Why don't you just stop making
1: up this fake distribution problem anymore? Because it really was a physical distribution problem. Mm-hmm. It cost a ton of cash to send stuff to Australia. Now it doesn't cost any cash <laughs> to right. send data to Australia. It probably costs more to send data to rural Arkansas than mm-hmm. it does to send it to Australia via the ways that, that data is set up. I mean, and we're talking about tiny fractions of cents here. Like, oh, Yeah. So that's another conversation that is something we'll talk about soon is the ridiculousness of distribution models and why Steam costs more in Australia, which <laughs> doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So we'll talk about that sometime else. But for today's as it pertains purposes. to music, yeah. For today's purposes, as it pertains to music, YouTube is a easily accessible tool for people outside the country. So about a hundred and forty-three million people in America use YouTube on a monthly basis.
0: That's close to half of our population.
1: Yeah, depending on if you count, you know, illegal immigrants, it's a little less than that. But um, oh, one hundred fifty-three million. Not, I'm sorry, not one hundred forty-three million. But a uh, one billion people with a B across the world use YouTube every month. So most of YouTube's traffic, percentage-wise, comes from outside America.
0: Which is a significant thing. And it's very different from a lot of other American based services where there are often very, very large international competitors that are just kind of unknown to Americans but have massive traffic elsewhere. YouTube is the video sharing thing globally, and that's very unusual in this kind of sphere.
1: Right. I mean, there again, there are other options like. In America, there are other options. In other countries, there are other options. But YouTube is the Google of video sharing.
0: A billion. That's a seventh of the world's population. Yeah, every month. That's crazy.
1: <laughs> they, might, they might be the most used. What do you call YouTube? An app? A, a tool? A platform? Uh, platform
0: tool? Pla- platform tool? Platform tool with a, two P's I... in the middle to. Get app in there. <laughs> Platform tool. Plap app Yeah. It's a plap
1: tool. I guess, I guess it's a plap tool. Oi. So that, that also brings up a question of what is YouTube? So I was about to say it might be the most used thing in its category. It but might it also is kind be of its the own category. Its category.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: So, so I had a friend in town recently who is from his living in a uh, former Soviet state. And we were trading music back and forth as we usually do when we get together and as we, you know, do when we're together online and things like that. And I would tell him to look up a band and he would immediately go to YouTube and I would, he would say, it's not on YouTube. I'm like, yeah, man, like the stuff I listen to isn't on YouTube, like go to band camp. (laughs) <laughs> and so he would, you know, go to Bandcamp and find it. And then the next time that I would tell him something to look up, he would just automatically go back to YouTube and say the same thing. It's not, it's on, not YouTube.
0: on YouTube. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. It's, it's not still on just on Bandcamp or SoundCloud still, or one of these. Yeah,
1: because the types of music that I listen to aren't the types of music that get put up on YouTube, which is fascinating when you think about the fact that hours of video – Okay, 300 hours of video are uploaded to YouTube every minute. Um, Wow, that's that's... just
0: insane.
1: Yeah, and that's from September 2014, so it might be even more now. Who knows? But when you consider that all of that video is going up, and there are still things that I listen to that aren't big enough to get put up
0: on YouTube. Like no one is interested in putting them on YouTube. And and lest you think, well, that's just people putting up videos – a massive chunk of the data that goes up onto YouTube is basically just music. You know, some of it will be music videos, but a lot of them will be music, quote, videos, unquote, that have badly dubbed lyrics on the screen or, or pretty just pictures albumized. or the album art or something like that. There is a ton of that. Almost a third of the content streamed on YouTube is that. Yeah, and so which is incredible. Yeah, incredible is the right word. When you see that... There are large segments of the American music scene that don't go on there. Well, as we talked about in our Zoe Keating episode, you start to ask why, and oftentimes the artists have good reasons. They may be relationship with fans, they may be wanting to contain, keep control of their music and a fan base that respects that and is willing to go pay them money via Bandcamp rather than just streaming it for free on YouTube. It may be that their fan base is small enough that they don't have to worry about people uploading it and they're not getting credit for it, etc. Or it may be that their fan base is just in a different section of the population that doesn't use YouTube as much.
1: Right. So I'm going to see the Mountain Goats today, which is really exciting. Um, They have a metal band opening for them, which is confusing. (laughs) But... They are in a demographic, or their audience is in a demographic, that is internet savvy, um, but is largely older. I'm not expecting to see a lot of 13-year-olds at this show. Now, if I am wrong, I'd be glad to report it on next week's episode. That screaming there were a bunch of teenage girls. Screaming teenage girls at the Mountain Goat Show. <laughs> screaming to literate uh Dostoevsky ex- references <laughs> to, yeah to Dostoevsky references and the songs about the book of Enoch and stuff like that but that would um, be the best it would be awesome but that's just not the audience that they're really going for even right. 25 years ago when this band started they weren't shooting for that audience and now that they're you know 25 years older this their audience is going to be largely you know 20s and 30s um, people who You know, we're growing up with them and now are that age. So um, it's it's going to be interesting to see as audiences age like that, how these trends keep going, because people who were 16 listening to One Direction are eventually going to be 32 you know, will they still be listening to One Direction? I mean, do we still listen to Sync? Some people do, oh, um, but, a, oh. but a lot of people don't. And so what's... <laughs> For which we're grateful. Are, <laughs> so are the music listening practices going to change or are they still going to be using YouTube and doing that sort of of fan cultural um, symbiotic development of music and video and, and fan culture? I don't know. And that's an interesting thing to think about. Like is – even though we know that 13- to 24-year-olds are obsessed with YouTube right now, does that mean that they will be obsessed with YouTube in 10 years? Or will they change their their delivery mechanisms for music as they get older and their lifestyles change? Or will they change the, the way that music is distributed and YouTube will just become part of our lifestyle? I I don't know. That's
0: an open question. Right. Well, and if current patterns are anything to go by, there's also a a closely related question, which is in 10 years, what are those 13-year-olds going to be doing? Because we've seen over the last decade as Facebook has gone from the hippest thing ever that everybody wanted to be on to, oh, that place where my older relatives are who are kind of awkward I'm not speaking about my own relatives necessarily. I'm just saying that's kind of the yeah. feel it has for a lot of young adults I've spoken with. Facebook is not a cool place to be anymore. Yeah. And so young adults have moved elsewhere. It's literally a
1: social space where your family is there and your, fam- your friends are there, and it's not a
0: cool hangout space. Right. That's- Literally, a digital approximation of your life. <laughs> Which is great for Facebook, but maybe isn't what teenagers are looking for. And so... Yeah, that's, that's exactly what they're not looking for. <laughs> right. I already have this. <laughs> it's called
1: my house. It's called life. I want to have something that's fake and different. <laughs> those, kids mean, those kids these days. Those kids these days. Get off my fake lawn! In the sen- um, yeah, get off my lawn. Whatever. <laughs> I don't mean fake fake. I mean...
0: Right. Something else. Different construct, fake. And so there is, of course, that question of what will people be doing in 10 years who are 13 to 24, as well as what are the 13 to 24-year-olds doing today? Right. And then there's one other question that's interesting to me, which is, well, what about these folks who have created a career for themselves via YouTube? Yeah. Famously groups like the Piano Guys, who have made a musical career out of... Posting cool videos to YouTube. And they were talented and successful musicians in totally different kinds of careers before that. But, you know, you show up now to a Pretty packed concert house if you go to a piano guy's concert, and they're Mm -hmm. far from the only people doing that. And there is, in fact, an entire subculture of YouTube stars that are not published on normal labels or maybe get picked up by normal labels but didn't start there and didn't go through the normal acquisition process. They've built their audience entirely on this YouTube culture. Right. Totally new. Yep. Pentatonics mm-hmm.
1: is another band, and my parents, who are in their fifties, love the Pentatonics. Went and saw them live; like that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Good job for the Pentatonics, and good job for my parents who found music that they like, and they love sending me Pentatonics videos. That's great. <laughs> There's some of them are really awesome. It's true. And so uh, it's so you're right. There is a, a culture there that is symbiotically related to this idea that. YouTube is the way that we get content now and get music now. And that's a really fascinating thing. And so I think that as we look at this from a winning slowly angle, uh, we we didn't really have a whole lot of of big takeaways um, that we haven't discussed before, other than the questions of, wow, what's this going to be like in the future? And what, what are people going to be doing in the future? And I think there are some things that we can kind of guess at. Mm-hmm. I mean we can we can guess that people will make stupid business plans for the near future <laughs> like that's something that's going to happen hey um, title hey title what's up we can guess that people are going to use what's most available to them in whether that's uh through ease of use or because that's all that's available to them in international countries mm-hmm. um we can also say that there are going to be clever savvy forward thinking business minded artists who are going to capitalize on these trends. So I think that we don't have to say that art is dead because there are going to, always gonna be people who are gonna be able to spin the technologies that are at hand to work in their favor. Yeah, and I think the
0: that kind of hopefulness about the future is a helpful pushback against sort of the doom and gloom that tends to pervade the discussion about the arts in our popular discourse there tends to be this kind of attitude of things are changing and i made the joke earlier about those kids these days and get off my lawn and across a lot of industries that does tend to be the attitude about change we human beings as a general rule don't love change we just don't love having to adapt and having to do things differently and you see this across all the industries that have been hit by the internet which at this point as we talked about last week is all the industries all
1: of them.
0: <laughs> and and change is hard there's no way around that but at the same time there are a lot of opportunities that come out of it and there are hopeful signs in seeing the flourishing of Bandcamp. One of the things we'll drop in the show notes is a link about the kinds of money that Bandcamp is making for its artists who are using it. And it's Mm -hmm. really encouraging. They're making a lot of money and artists are doing well with things like Bandcamp as distribution platforms.
1: And Bandcamp is doing a lot of things to continually tweak and develop their services for bands, which is really great. It's super encouraging to see smart business people say, hey, we understand the needs of this particular group and we're going to make a platform that really works for them Mm -hmm. instead of working for the almighty dollar. Because Bandcamp's making plenty of money. Like, they're making tons of money. Good on them. But their business model is based on continually rolling out things that are best for the band and not necessarily for even the listener. Because they recently just installed this feature that if you listen to a thing a certain amount of times, you can't listen to it until you buy it again. Which is great for bands, like that stops this idea of, you know, free loading and stuff like that. It's actually not super great for listeners, but that's not what Bandcamp the platform is for. It's not a streaming service. And they're setting that up by saying, look, we are
0: making it real clear to you, this isn't a streaming service, this is a store. And that's cool. And it's a forward-thinking store in in one way, in ways that we've talked about before. It actually is good for consumers because it motivates them to buy while giving them the opportunity to discover. And that's something that has been a hard problem. And tuning it in that way, obviously, most directly benefits bands. But it is a way of doing a store that is much friendlier to the consumer than even iTunes is. Because a minute 30 out of especially some of the more epic pieces I've listened to, you know, you find the occasional track that's seven minutes long and Mm -hmm. you just can't get a feel for it that way. So it's, it is in some ways a friendlier store to the consumers as a store, but on the bigger takeaway is that it just gives us hope for businesses continuing to innovate and do things that take advantage of the technology rather than complaining about the technology and doing it in a way that really does benefit the artist and provides good value to the consumer, and is a sustainable business. This is a real thing that people really can do. And so we think that about, to some extent, YouTube, because they've worked to get
1: universal licensing and things like that. And so there's, there's a lot of things that YouTube is doing right as well, even though we have talked about YouTube's foibles mm-hmm. and struggles recently. But there are reasons to feel hopeful about music, does it look different? Yeah. Do we know what it's going to look like in the future? <laughs> no, nope. Not really. Not really. But do we feel confident that given the ways that people have adapted, that people will continue to to adapt and continue to be able to make careers in music? Yes. We feel confident about that.
0: Before you go, there was a fascinating interview with President Obama conducted by Thomas Friedman mostly looking at his foreign policy specific to the ongoing negotiations with Iran and the nuclear deal he's attempting to reach. And whatever you think of President Obama's foreign policy in general, we think this interview is worth your time because it is one of the few places where he has clearly articulated his foreign policy views. And while I may differ with him in a number of areas. He made one point that we thought was great, which is mm-hmm. we have some options and it's okay to try things. And if it doesn't work, other options are still on the table. And to take advantage of that fact, to use the position that America has in the world, to try things that aren't just saying, well, okay, time to start shooting. Yep. And that's that's a good thing. How well, How well this will work out, we don't know. And do we agree with everything in this? Maybe not. But it was a really interesting take and one that bears further consideration. So we commend the piece to you to think about, regardless of what comes of it. We thought it was a thoughtful response to thoughtful questions. Definitely worth your
1: time to read, even if you disagree. The music that opened the episode was number one by the sideshow Tragedy. Please don't use it
0: without permission. We've used it with permission. You can find show notes for this episode with links mentioned throughout the episode, as well as a link to that music at winningslowly.org. We encourage you to subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And hey, if you like the show, would you do us a favor and rate us on iTunes? We'd love that. You can follow us at @winningslowly on Twitter or App.net, and you can follow me at @chriskrejci on Twitter or App.net,
1: and you can follow me at @scaradini on Twitter. And until next time, thanks for listening.
0: enjoyed the discussion it was fun just to be like things aren't gloom and doom this is kind of fun yeah
1: Yeah. things
0: can work out
1: there's gonna be a ton of show notes this time
0: yep and that is cool i'll let you do all that hard work the deal that has been hashed out with iran and is still being hashed out with iran i just said iran two different ways i have to do that again yeah you
1: did yeah you did (laughs)